0: Hello, 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 and welcome to this week's episode of the 7-Figure Millennials Podcast, where it is my job to help you to prioritize your happiness, health, and relationships while making your biggest entrepreneurial dreams a reality. And I haven't recorded this on an intro before, but part of the inspiration for the show was the quote by Jim Rohn, become a millionaire, not for the million dollars, but for what it will make of you to achieve it. So if you're listening to this right now and you are a heart-centered, impact-driven entrepreneur that is into entrepreneurship, not just for the money, but because you love growth, you are absolutely in the right spot. And so today I want you to brace yourself because today's guest was a 2014 Olympic figure skater at age Fifteen. That's right. She was the youngest member of the U.S. Olympic team in the 2014 Sochi Olympics. She was also the 2015 Four Continents Champion, two times U.S. Silver Medalist, three times World Team Member, two times Junior Grand Prix Gold Medalist, the 2013, Ju- <laughs> the 2013 U.S. Junior National Champion. So many awards. That's right. Today, we are hanging out with Polina Edmonds. Polina first stepped onto the ice at 20 months old and was taking lessons in both skating and ballet at age four. So basically she is the absolute definition of somebody who has literally grown up in the world of figure skating. She's traveled all over the world to compete in the most elite figure skating competitions while simultaneously going to high school full time. So, she recently graduated from Santa Clara University with a bachelor's degree in communication and business entrepreneurship and is the host of the Believe in Figure Skating podcast. And in this episode, you are going to learn so much, but three things I want you to look out for. One, what it took to become the youngest Team USA athlete in the 2014 Sochi Olympics. And you're going to hear some crazy stories like how she had to get up at 5 a.m. in kindergarten. That's right, kindergarten to train, go to school, get picked up, change, and eat some soup out of a thermos in the back of her. Car and then go back to the rink after school and skate for another few hours. Absolutely insane. Number two, how you can sharpen your mental game, pulling from lessons of mental toughness that Polina has learned from training long hours and keeping her cool before stepping on the rink in front of a global stage. And number three, Polina's top suggestions from competing at the most elite levels for how you can escape the dangerous trap of comparing yourself to others because it may be holding you back more than you know. But before before we dive in, I want to give a pre-show listener shout out to Bree Bauman Eleven, who left a review saying, "Great content, Brandon asks great questions and brings on interesting guests." So, thank you so much for the kind words, Bree Bauman Eleven. And if you are a returning listener keyword returning. If you're, if this is your first episode, let's just enjoy. But if you're returning, that means you're coming back. You're finding a lot of value in this. And if you haven't left a review yet, you can head to com slash review. And on that page, it's going to tell you exactly how to leave a review. Cause sometimes it's confusing depending on what app you're using. And if you choose to leave an honest review, I have a little thank you gift I want to give you just to show my appreciation. And it's going to reveal exactly how I get incredible guests like Polina on the show and how you can get the high level connections you need to grow your business. And again, all those details can be found at sevenfiguremillennials.com slash review. And if you're listening to this and you're still wondering what the heck this has to do with entrepreneurship and seven figure millennials, the answer is everything. And Polina does such a fantastic job of delivering phenomenal content. And as an entrepreneur, I know you are an elite performer, and Polina is one of the best people to talk about this subject as somebody that has been at the absolute top. So with that said, let's dive into the world of elite Olympic-level performance with the youngest member of Team USA in the 2014 Sochi Olympics, Polina Edmonds. If you had to pick between A, making a ton of money, B, being happy, healthy, and surrounded with people you love, or C, making a meaningful impact on the world, which would you choose? The good news is that today we don't have to choose. So the question is, how can entrepreneurs like you and me who have a vision for our lives and aren't willing to settle for anything less, how can we become financially successful and have a big impact while prioritizing our happiness, health, and relationships? You and I are on a mission to find out, and we have an incredible journey ahead of us. My name is Brandon Fong, and welcome to the 7 Bigger Millennials Podcast. Paulina, welcome to the show. Super excited to have you here.
1: Thanks so much for having me. <laughs>
0: yeah, this is going to be a blast. So I would love to start with, uh, in my research and I came across what you what you say is one of your favorite memories of all time. And so I would love to tell the story of you qualifying for the Olympics. So if you could take us back, you're in Boston, tell us about the performance, how old you were and how your family, your mom and dad specifically reacted when you got the news. So yeah, the way
1: that it works for figure skating, you compete and you get your placement the night before the team is announced. So I got gotten second and we had three spots for the Olympic team in 2014 that year. So I knew that, you know, based off of the standings, I had the potential to be named to the top three of the team. But I had actually experienced the year before I had won uh, the junior national championship, but I wasn't selected for junior worlds the junior world team and so i knew that there could definitely be a little bit of manipulation within uh, the selection process and they were going to kind of send whoever they wanted to send it wasn't necessarily about placement so i and my family didn't get too excited that night uh, but the next morning we received a text message about 30 minutes before the official announcement was made to the public um, and I was actually sitting next to my mom and she had gotten the text and she showed it to my coach and she showed you
0: first, with me. <laughs> she showed the coach first, not you.
1: <laughs> yeah. They were kind of like smiling and like not showing me yet. And then they showed me and I would just had this wave of relief. I was super excited. Um, one of my coaches teared up and my mom was just like, oh my God, it's happening. But when my dad heard the news, he wasn't in that, uh, private coaching area with us. He was up on the general level of the arena. So he ran into the elevator, ran down where all the athletes are and you need special credentials. You can't nobody can just go in there. And all of the security are telling him like you can't come in here. Like you have to go back. And he's like trying to push his way through. He's like, you don't understand. My daughter just made the Olympics. Um, so it was just a really great story in
0: general, and uh, really, really great moment for me and my family. So did he end up pushing past the security and was able to get in, or did they did they actually have to restrain him? And you had to go visit him later to tell to, to, to celebrate yeah. together. <laughs> <laughs> he was
1: actually near the elevator, uh, and I think I like had run up while he was talking to the security guards. So got it. We got to have our moment.
0: <laughs> yeah, I love that. And one of the things because uh, I was listening to another interview that you had done, and you were the way that. You you had described it was really interesting. So I'd love to kind of drill into it, but you had said that like for you, when you reacted, obviously you were excited, but for your mom, it was almost like you were so excited because I know your mom's your coach. And so you you would explain it as like seeing a sigh of relief on her shoulders. So like, can you maybe explain a little bit about the relationship between you and your mom? You know, you guys are basically a team going through this whole thing and, and how she reacted to you getting the news.
1: Yeah. So you know, having your parent as your coach is very, very difficult. And I've said in a ton of interviews I've done, she is, you know, the greatest blessing having your mom as your coach and also the greatest curse. Cause it's kind of like this inescapable, you know, skating mindset that even when we go home, like she's still, you know, making sure everything's going well for skating. So it's, it's really hard to navigate that as you're growing up. But for us, you know, I definitely feel that a lot of my success came from having her in my team, um, and so I've never, you know, had any real resentment or anything with her being a part of that. And so, again, because of the hardships we were going through the year before, with me not being selected, even when we had done everything right, you know, I had the gold medal and everything. We were very nervous, like not so much of how I did and you know the training that I put in and even the way that I performed. It was more so the nervousness of what way the politics were going to go, you know, were they going to take me a newbie? I was freshly just 15. Didn't have a famous coach. You know, I didn't have any of those big factors going for me. Um, And so that was the part that we were really nervous about. So once I got the text that I had actually done it and I had qualified for the Olympics, that was just the biggest relief because we knew On the one end, we did everything right and I performed so well, but then on the other end, they actually picked me.
0: Yeah. Well, you mentioned this a few times and I had this as a note to make sure we dove into this. And, uh, you know, obviously there's lots of things that you do, you do with as an athlete, things that are in your control and things that are outside of your control. And one of the things that you've mentioned twice now is the fact that you had this experience where, correct me if I'm wrong, it was like the 2012, 2013 season when you, you competed, you took first place, you had a gold medal and, you know, we're like the best in the USA, but you still didn't qualify to move was it to the Olympics at that point or was it, was it something else? I would just love for you to kind of touch on that whole scenario and, and how to deal with, you know, rejection or things that are outside of your control in, in the sporting world.
1: Definitely. So that year it was 2013. So a year before the 2014 games and, I had won the junior championship. So we had worked, I'd been in junior for three years already, and i had always finished in the middle of the pack. And then finally I I turned 14. I had gotten really consistently all of the elements I needed to uh, be at the top. And I skated super well. I won the event. And so we all were thinking, I was going to be named to the junior world team at the end of the week at that nationals. And I wasn't, and my mom and I and my coach were sat down by a U.S. figure skating official. And they informed us that the reason I wasn't selected was because I didn't have any international experience yet. And, you know, most people in that situation, um, yes, they'd be frustrated, but a lot of the way that skating culture goes is it's very like, thank you for the opportunity you know that kind of thing um like thank you so much for even sitting down with us and telling us thank you thank you thank you and that's just not the way that we were going about it because you know like we as athletes work so hard and it's it's just so crushing to have you know political stuff mess with the results that we are earning and that we feel like we should rightfully have um and you know, from my perspective and my mom's perspective and my coach's perspective as well, all summer before that junior, um, national championship, I had been competing very well. I showed all of my elements. I showed that I was very competitive from a international standpoint, but they weren't sending me out. They were sending, you know, all the favorites, all the girls with the famous coaches and stuff like that. Um, and I here from the Bay area didn't have any of that. And, I didn't get sent out so i turned it back on to the judge that was talking to me and i said well you saw how well i was skating all year why didn't you send me like didn't you see this coming and they just kind of got flustered and they said uh we can give you a different international competition later um like next month and in that moment you know it was kind of like a consolation prize for me so i took it but it was very very crushing for me and my team to you know have worked so hard to have won to have done all these steps right and just to have all of a sudden the realization that I was going to be a step behind because I didn't have that political pull
0: yeah
1: and we didn't really want to play the game and switch coaches or anything because my coach had been with me since the age of four like he taught me everything and so to just leave him at that point would have been morally wrong for us like that's just not respectful or loyal or any of that kind of stuff. And he worked like amazingly with me and we had a great relationship. So the turnaround for me was really coming home and being like, all right, what am I going to do so that this doesn't happen next year? And that was get new programs immediately, start skating super, super hard all year, all summer. And I wanted to show at every competition that fall before the next nationals ran around, I wanted to show my consistency and how strong I was so that if I potentially landed on the podium the next year for the Olympics, they couldn't say what they said to me last year. Mm. They couldn't say that I wasn't ready or I didn't have the experience. And so that's exactly what I did. I worked really hard. I competed super well all year. And then by the time I got to that Olympic trials, I was just ready to shine. And I was also ready to talk to the media and tell them, you know,
0: I've been here. I've been working hard. I've been skating well, and don't leave me off the team. Yeah, that's incredible. So, so it was kind of a like, I can't believe this is happening. This is terrible. Then it quickly turned into like a fuck you guys. I'm just going to work my ass off and just show exactly. you guys that, so that, was, <laughs> that was pretty much your reaction is I'm just going to work until I am the absolute, you can't contest it. And there's no politics. Otherwise you guys are just going to look bad because I'm clearly the choice. So that's, that's how you handled it. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. Cool. So, um, I do want to kind of start diving into like your early skating career. Cause I, I just, it was so incredible doing my research and seeing all that you had to sacrifice and like all the things that you did as a kid and so maybe just let's just start out with maybe like a lighter topic but would you mind uh sharing the story about the first time you started showing interest in skating that I believe had to do with a little bit of a theft on your part from 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 some of your brothers but if you could share that I thought that was an awesome story
1: yeah so I was a skating baby Uh, my mom's a skating coach so she was actually taking my older brother to the ice rink uh when I was you know one years old, still in the little baby carrier. And so I was just hanging out at the rink while they were skating. And since that was something that I was, you know, brought up around, um, one day when I was around the age of two, not even two yet, really, I took my older brother's skates at home and I put them on my own feet and <laughs> I started walking around in the skates and my mom saw that. And she was like, Oh, I guess, I guess this means she's ready. Um, she has good balance in them at home so we can put her on the ice now. And yeah, my mom put me on the ice when I was 19 months old, so almost two years old, and um, I was doing fine. I had really good balance. And so she kept me in it. She continued. And um, at the age of four, that was when I started taking lessons from my technical coach who taught me, you know, all of the elements that brought me to the Olympics.
0: That's so crazy. And this is a, I don't remember where I got this, but I'm just going to read a little bit of this clip from some article, but it says David Glenn, who's your coach, who uh, I'll skip past this part said skating is a business. You're selling the dream. And at the same time, you have to have integrity as a coach. You have to be honest, tell them what that, when they're progressing, when they plateaued, there's so much more to life, than ice skating. And then he asks beginners what their goals are. Some only want to learn basic skills, others want to be competitors. Nita Edmonds showed up with her four-year-old Paulina and told Glenn we're going to commit everything to it. So I just thought that was so powerful because, like, you know, obviously you're the one that's on the ice, you're the one that's putting in the practice, but you really did have a whole team and your whole family supporting with you in every step of the way. So would you maybe mind sharing a little bit about um, you know, outside of maybe from the coaching perspective, but like how your dad and how your family and how your coach were able to kind of create this team around you to turn you into an Olympian.
1: Yeah. Well, it's actually, again, one of the reasons I'm just so fortunate to have, uh, my mom as my coach is that she grew up in Russia. And so their system for skating, skating's huge in Russia, first of all, but, in any sport, you know, the coaches, they have to go to college and get a four-year degree and they learn, um, physical anatomy, kinesiology, psychology, all the things that are necessary for training kids at any age. Um, and you know, the right exercises and movements for particular sports. So she came into the U S with all of this knowledge that most coaches don't have here because we don't require our coaches to go to school, um, to teach kids. Right. So, in Russia, the system is if a parent drops their kid off at the ice rink, they have everything figured out. It's like a big camp. Um, the kids are going to have dance lessons in the dance studio. They're going to have stretching lessons for flexibility. They're going to have um, strength and workout conditioning classes to build strength off the ice. And then on the ice, they have multiple coaches for spinning, jumping, skating skills, choreography. You know, it's it's the full deal. In the US, it's not like that. It's all in the parents. And so most parents bring their kid to the rink and they find a coach and they're like, all right, we're set. Um, but there's actually so much more that goes in to a sport like skating. And my mom tried to simulate that kind of system for me in the U.S. by finding me really great ballet teachers, gymnastics and flexibility coaches. She herself was a strength and conditioning coach. So she did conditioning workouts for all of the kids. She found me multiple coaches to work with um, in different you know, spheres for skating. And so I really had this huge team working with me since really the age of four to get me to where I needed to be by the age of 15. My dad was also a huge part of the team and he was always very involved uh, along with my mom, you know, choosing, all these different things with me really driving education so that I continued in that sphere as well as the sports sphere. And then he also, I've just been so blessed that my dad's been able to be so supportive and financially supportive for both my mom and I to, um, have this experience on the ice.
0: I love that. Okay. So I'm trying to imagine it's like you start training when you're four years old and like, there's gotta be like a point of no return where it's like, you know, I'm going to commit to this. There's a point where it's like, it's cute and she's good. And then let's like, there's a point where you like, okay, like you have to commit and start doing it more seriously. So when, when was that point where it was like, okay, I'm going to go all in on this. Cause I'm sure it wasn't like as a four-year-old, you're not consciously aware <laughs> of what you're about to commit to. So like, what, when did you really start going all in and made the goal to become an Olympian?
1: I think uh, probably around the age of seven or eight was when we were really committing because uh, at that point I was taking, you know, ballet, skating, and gymnastics. And at least from my mom's point of view, those were specifically for skating. But as far as I knew, it was, you know, me doing three different things that I love to do. And so at the age of eight, I was progressed really far in gymnastics as well. Uh, and then one day I wasn't going to classes anymore. And I remember asking my mom, I was like, why am I not going to gymnastics anymore? And she's like, well, we're cutting that short for skating. And I remember being like, kind of surprised because I love gymnastics and I wasn't quite ready to quit on it yet. But at the same time, it made sense that I needed more time for skating and I had already gotten, you know, all the tools I needed from gymnastics, um, to help my skating, Mm. And that was kind of the moment that I knew, like, okay, like we're in for the long ride with skating. But at the same time, I was progressing very quickly in skating. And by the next year at the age of nine, I was already competing um, regionally and qualifying for different national competitions. And uh, we definitely had the goal of the Olympics in mind. Um, I didn't know when that would be. I knew that I was going to be 15 in 2014, but And I would be eligible at that time, but that was definitely kind of a dream long shot because, you know, 15, there weren't many 15 year olds going to the Olympics. I think the last 15 year old for skating was in 1998 with Tara Lempinski. And, um, you know, that was just a dream and it ended up happening.
0: So it was okay. What you just said there, I didn't realize that. So it was like, not only were when you competed, you were the youngest Olympian in 2014 at the Sochi games. Is that correct?
1: I was yes. For team USA.
0: Okay. So for team USA, the youngest one. And prior to that, it was actually, you know, that was 16 years earlier when, when there was another Olympian that age. Wow. I didn't even realize that. So not only were the youngest, but like, it was like, it's not something that ever really happens that much. That's crazy. And I loved your comment about Mm -hmm. like, obviously your mom had the whole perspective of growing up or in the being obsessed in training in the coaching area for skating in Russia, but she was kind of doing like a Mr. Miyagi thing to you. It's like, let me, let me teach you, you do this, you do this, you do this. And like you, as a kid, you're just experiencing all these fun things. And you didn't really realize that it was like, no, you're really waxing the car so that you can learn how to block something. Or it's the same thing for ballet and, or gymnastics inside of, inside of um, skating. That's incredible. Um, and exactly. I think it's, it's it's, it's another thing for anybody listening to think about too it's like what are some supplementary skill sets that you could start learning that would supplement you know whatever your main endeavor is because i think when you have that outside perspective of trying to master multiple things at the same time it's like i think tim ferriss says it it's like you know it's really hard to become top percent like to become a professional olympian or a basketball player you have to be really good at like one set of things but if you can take multiple things and become top 5% in them and then combine those things together you can become uh you know a force to be reckoned with so just something for people to take away there from a, from a business perspective. Um, I, I also did want to ask a little bit about your experience in elementary school. I came across a story where you shared about, uh, what the experience was like competing with other boys in, in the the mile and stuff like that in school. So would you mind maybe sharing a little bit about your competitiveness and uh, your experience going to school and still training as a figure skater?
1: Yeah. So I, I loved school mostly because I loved, you know, getting that social life, hanging out with friends, all of that kind of stuff. Um, and for me growing up, one of the biggest reasons why I love skating was because I was good at it and I knew that I was good at it. And so it felt good to have something that I felt like made me special. And so when I would be at School and we would have PE. I loved PE because I was so athletic, and um, I could show everyone, I could show all my classmates how athletic I was. And anytime we had to run the mile or like run a lap, Um, in elementary school, I would always be the fastest and I would be beating all of the boys and, uh, you know, we would finish our lap and I would just like go and say hi to everybody who's like (laughs) sweating and like huffing and puffing on the ground. And they would always, you know, shake their heads at me and they loved that. I was a girl and that I was running and stuff like that. But, um, it was just like a little mini competitive validation for me that I was in fact a great athlete, even at the age of like seven.
0: (laughs) Did yeah. you always have that? I mean, I, I'm assuming you have two brothers, if I remember correctly. Is that so? So you kind of grew up because being competing with your brothers. Is that what you would attribute some attribute some of your competitiveness to, or do you think it just it comes from something else?
1: I think maybe a little bit with my brothers, um, but mostly I would say because I knew them and they knew my skating, they did not want any part of the training regimen that I was in with my mom. Like they opted out of all of the hard stuff that I had to do. And they saw me being, you know, miserable at times because I had to wake up earlier in the morning and I had to do all of these extra running like workouts. Um, And so it was more so competitive for me, seeing kids that had no idea that I was doing that, um, that thought that I was just, you know, a regular, you know, kid athlete in whatever sport that they were doing, whether they were playing soccer or basketball. Um, and for me, it was like, no, I'm, I'm different. I'm actually like training really hard for the Olympics and, um, I'm not just, you know, on the school team.
0: (laughs) So I would assume your brothers kind of had similar opportunities to you and your mom would have been equally as excited and passionate about, you know, having them do figure skating and stuff like that. Do you, do you think that there's a specific reason why you decided to pursue it? And even when your brothers were like, nah, I'm not even going to deal with this stuff.
1: Well, my mom started us all out in skating, but she said that she didn't see like specific talent in either of them when it came to (laughs) skating. Versus for me, it was like, oh, like she has something that she has a spark. Uh, She's learning really quickly. Uh, And so my brothers, they didn't, she didn't push them in the same way. Um, But they both switched to hockey pretty early on and they really, really loved hockey. So they were both competitive hockey players throughout their um,
0: schooling experience. So we were basically a nice family. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So I would love for you to kind of like really showcase to, and tell people like what your life was like, uh, you know, going, cause you were, you were training in starting as early as elementary school. So can you maybe a little bit share about your specific day, what it was like to be training and going to school and kind of the crazy stuff that you had to do to make sure that you were going to all your lessons and coaching it at the same time?
1: Yeah. So Essentially, since uh, like first grade, even kindergarten, I was getting up at five in the morning to go train for an hour before school at the ice rink. And then I would change in the car, you know, eat a banana, eat breakfast in the car. And my mom would drop me off at school and I would sit in class for six hours. um, And then same thing. My mom picked me up. I would jump back in the car change, eat some soup out of a thermos in the car. And then I would go back to the rink and skate, um, for another few hours. And by the time I came home at the end of the day, it would be, you know, dinner time and then homework time and then early bedtime. So I could get up in the morning again. So it was very, very structured and it would be frustrating for me at times to, you know, have my little brother have a later bedtime than me. Uh, but you know, I realized that I was getting up way earlier and that I was expending way more energy with the, Kinds of training that I was doing, so um, it was annoying, but <laughs> I accepted it. Um, but you know, missing school for skating was fun for me because you know I had a competition to go to or whatever. But as I entered middle school and um, then high school, it was difficult um, because of school not taking my skating seriously even when I was going to nationals. Uh, it wasn't an excused absence. so it was really up to the teachers if they you know understood what I was doing and were gonna allow me to have makeup work and whatnot. And most of my teachers were supportive in middle school. Uh, I did have one particular teacher who was not and it was very frustrating. Um, but when when I was in high school and I was you know I was a sophomore when I made the Olympic team, my school was very, very supportive at that point in giving me time off for all of my uh, international competitions. So I would be missing a week of school to go fly to China or fly to France. And um, I would just have packets from all of my teachers and they would have me do work and then come back and make up any tests. So it was a great system for me, but very challenging Uh, my sophomore year in 10th grade. I missed probably 10 or 11 weeks of school which is nuts. And so I remember sitting in my finals that summer and just taking like a biology test. And I was writing on my scantron. Like, I don't think that I have been in school long enough this year to take this test. And I ended up (laughs) doing fine. I got a good grade, but I was so like, oh my God, I didn't know any of the stuff on this.
0: (laughs) That's insane. And okay. So so you're getting up at five. You're really pretty much like your, your day is super structured. You're done at like, what time are you going to bed around? Like.
1: I had pretty much a 9 PM bed taint. 9 p.m. bedtime, I think. Okay, um, I was going to say because I know there's lots
0: of studies that have to do with like sleep and like developmental issues as a kid. So like you, you got to be getting that sleep, and so I was like, you know, you can't be up that late. And so you know, you're you're running this tight schedule all the time from the time that you're like you said in kindergarten or first grade. And I know that you also had to deal with some burnout at around age 11 or 12. So would you mind maybe talking a little bit about that burnout experience and how you got out of it?
1: Yeah. So I think when I was around probably 12, I was in middle school. And I was just not having a good time with training, just with the amount of, um, skating and learning I had to do at that point, I was learning triples, which for skating, you learn single jumps and then double jumps. And then the big jump is to learn triple jumps. And so most kids, um, even adults, if they start skating, you can learn doubles, but what makes a skater truly competitive is learning the triples. And there, there really aren't that many kids who can do that. And that was a huge struggle for me. And so it took a lot of learning, but I had this mental block in my head for about six months where I just couldn't pull in. I was scared or I was anxious or for whatever reason, I just couldn't make myself snap and do those three rotations. I was constantly doing singles, which is really bad in skating because they say, you know, if you pop your jump a certain amount of times, it's going to take like 10 times longer for you to retrain your mind to get you to pull in. And so my coaches and my mom were just at a complete loss because they tried everything. They tried, you know, tough love. They tried coaxing me into it. Nothing was working. Um, And I specifically had at the end of the year, all of my friends at school were going to walk home like last day of school. And they were going to stop at Jamba Juice and we were going to get our nails done and stuff like that. And I really, really wanted to go. I never had time to hang out after school. Cause I was always going straight to the rink. So the thought of not having to go skating <laughs> after school and just going with my friends to get my nails done was like the Sunday that I wanted. And, um, yeah, my mom told me if I wanted to go to that, then I had to pull in on my jumps that week, like just start jumping again. And that was kind of the push that I needed. Um, in my head, I would be going into jump and about to like miss it again. And I would think like, no, I really want to go with my friends, like last day of school. And I forced myself to jump and my mom was like, oh my God, we did it. And (laughs) I went, I went with my friends. I had a great time, not skating. And then I came back home and I was like, all right, that was fun. But, uh, yeah, skating makes me special, and I want to go back to it.
0: <laughs> Do you remember like what flavor Jamba Juice you got? Because it got to be that had to have been the most delicious Jamba Juice you had ever had in your entire life. <laughs> Do you remember what it was or no?
1: <laughs> yeah, I think I had a mango a go go There you Love go.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Love that. And I just wanted to clarify a little bit because uh, you know I, I'm assuming we don't have a very big figure skating audience. I'm sure there's some people in here that are listening. But you were, you were you're using some terminology. I can imagine if you're pulling in and correct me wrong, I have no idea. So if you're pulling in, I would assume like you're being tighter so that you can spin faster. Is that what you mean when you say pulling in and can you just explain pulling in and pop jump and what, what all that stuff meant?
1: Yeah, exactly. So essentially I'm going into a jump and I have to rotate three times in the air. And if I don't pull in, so like pull my body into the tightest position and actually attempt to rotate three times, um, that's called popping. So if I just go into it and then I don't snap, I, I just do a big single in the air. That's a pop. And, uh, yeah. For skating, it's, it's way worse to pop because mentally, if you let your body start doing that, it's, it can happen in competition. So mm. a lot of the top skaters, they really try no matter what, you know, pull in and fall. It's better to try to rotate three times and fall than it is to just do a single
0: that's so, really interesting. Yeah. So, so basically I'm assuming like all of this is essentially muscle memory. And so like, it's, it's, it's better to Biff and like have good form trying to do good form than, than ha- like condition your mind to actually do the, the single spin. That's, that's crazy. Um, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And there was, there was something else I was going to ask on this topic later when it comes to training. So can you maybe tell us a little bit about what, uh, like a day in training is for you? Like, do you show up and your coaches are like, okay, this is specifically what you're practicing for the day. You have to hit these things, or can you just walk us through what it's like to train at that elite level to, to qualify for the Olympics and beyond?
1: Yeah. So growing up when I was learning all of my jumps, it takes years. So it took me Like I had my first single jump at the age of six and I got all of my triples by the age of 13. So it took me that many years to learn. Uh, But when you're learning, it's it's kind of coming into the rink. So I would do like half an hour of stretching and like jumping on the floor to really warm my muscles up before getting on the ice. And then I would skate for an hour and I would dedicate that hour to jumping. So I would do like 10 repetitions of each jump uh, where I had to really do quality technique so that I could train my muscles. Um, and it could take, you know, a year for me to get that jump, but I need to be super consistent in doing those 10 reps every single day. Um, and little by little, it gets, you know, more and more around to the point where I can land it. Um, and, and then again, skate for another hour, do spins, do choreography. I would have um another hour session of doing choreography sessions where I would be practicing just like my normal skating skills and um artistry with my choreographers. And then, you know, I would come back in the afternoon. So you have to skate twice a day to kind of really get that uh muscle memory going. And so again, I would do jumps that's because those take the longest to learn. I would be doing jumps again in the afternoon, and then training, you know, my program. Um, and then on top of that, like three times a week, I would be doing another hour of off ice after that, where my mom would take me and other kids to the track, and we would be doing mm-hmm. sprints, and we would be doing all these different, you know, jumping exercises to really build strength off the ice. Um, and then I also did ballet classes once a week you know, that was kind of the deal. Um, so I was skating really intensely five days a week. And then, um, I would also skate on Sunday mornings, but then once I had learned all my elements. So by the time I was in high school and even in college training really began, um, I didn't need to train as many hours because I had already learned everything, but all of my sessions consisted of the same plan. And that would be warming up my jumps warming up, you know, my spins and my skating skills. And then I would just be training my program. So I would skate the full program and then I would do uh, tiny sections of that program, like over and over and over again. So I was still getting all of those like 10 reps in when it came to jumping, but I was doing them um, within the program, which is just more stamina and more, you know, difficulty because you do one jump and you're already winded and then you have to do five more while yeah. doing, you know, dance on the ice. So, um, it was nice not having to learn jumps anymore, but it was definitely difficult needing to constantly practice them
0: in that tired set. <laughs> so how do you refine stuff to a certain point? Like, are you, are you doing one jump and then your coach is giving you very specific feedback? Cause obviously you can't see, you can only kind of feel what you're doing. So is that kind of like the routine is like, you're, you're practicing one part of, you know, your routine over and over and over again. And then your coach is giving you finer and finer critiques on that. So you can get it right. Is that how it works?
1: Yeah. So it's essentially, um, I can't see myself skating. Right. So I can kind of tell when I have a good one, but even for me, if a jump feels off, I'll come back to my coach and they'll say, no, it looked great. Like you're like, you can't see what just happened, but it looked good. Um, and so you're just getting constant critiquing from a coach. And if things aren't working, they're also, uh, you know, giving you instruction on what you need to do. Um, because again, when you're learning a jump, you have no idea, you know, even the slight like 45 degree angle of your arm going into a jump can make a huge difference. And you're trying to think of like six different things as you go into a jump, but the coach can really see like exactly where you are in every like phase of the jump. And so they can give you instruction on that. And then when it came to programs, having someone to push you is really important and like, make sure you're going through with your plan. Um, and then again, seeing that you're doing it full out, um, seeing if there's choreography that kind of looks maybe a little bit lackluster, like maybe there needs to be some other arm movement or we need to add another turn here because it looks empty. Um, it's all part of the package. So,
0: yeah, I just want to tie something together for listeners here, because I think this is so important and this is true at every level of elite performance. Just last week, I did an interview with Lieutenant Colonel, Waldo Waldman, and he was a decorated air pilot that has flown 65 combat missions. And one of the main things that he teaches from flying these combat missions is that you need to have someone check your six because when you're flying in formation, the six o'clock behind you is where enemies will come and you know shoot you down. So you always need people. You need wingman to be checking your six you know, I say the quote all the time. You can't read the label from out inside the jar. You need people outside of your jar that you're sitting in to give you feedback. And now talking to Polina here, you need coaches. You need people outside that can give you the feedback, sometimes the ugly feedback that you actually need to move forward. So as you're listening to this, who's your coach? Who are the who are your wingman? Who are the people that are actually going to push you to move forward? And if you really want to get to that next level, I think that's, that's really absolutely what you need at every single time is somebody to give you sometimes the ugly feedback that you don't want to hear all the time. <laughs> um, similar Similar, similar to this, there was another story. Kind of wanted I wanted you to tell in regards to you know your mom pushing. You said somebody to push you. Can you tell a story about um, you needed to get your reps in and um how how do I set this up? You needed to get your reps in before you went home for a day. And if you didn't get your reps in, what would your mom do to you to make sure <laughs> to make sure that you got your reps in?
1: <laughs> yeah. So um, part of the tough love, you know, strict coach mom um, mindset for her was. Know making sure that when I came in for the day, I finished the plan. And I think when you have uh, a parent coach relationship, a lot of the times, you know, kids can manipulate, try to manipulate their parents, right? Say, I'm too tired, I want to go home, whatever. Um, And so, my mom would have none of that if I wasn't working hard, if I wasn't finishing the plan, she just left me at the ice (laughs) rink. Um, she and I would, you know, run into the parking lot just like crying and being like, No, like, don't leave. Um, She'll be like, I'll be back at seven when, you know, the next session is because we would usually only have a freestyle session until 5 p.m. And then there would be hockey. So you can't even go back on the ice. I would have to wait until almost eight o'clock at night for there to be another ice time session. Um, Mm -hmm. So she would leave. I would stay at the rink with my backpack and I would just start doing homework. Mm -hmm. And then by the time 8 p.m. rolled around, my mom would come back to the rink and I would hop on the ice and I would need to finish. Whether that took me 15 minutes, whether that took me 30 or another hour, didn't matter. My mom just really wanted to instill the lesson that um, I needed to finish what I started and that I couldn't just go home and leave things unfinished. And it was a tough lesson to learn at times because I hated being left alone at the ice rink and I just wanted to go home and rest. But um, I did that a few times and I didn't do it again.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I can only imagine. So we've talked we talked a lot about you know, you practicing. And I think this kind of starts moving towards the mental side of it, because so much of what you do is dealing with the mental game. And so I'd love to kind of dive into this topic. There's kind of multiple ways that I'd like to take it. But one of the things I wanted to talk about is the the mental aspect of recovering from bad days or mistakes that happen. Because I'm sure as with any, you know, whether you're a marketer, entrepreneur, or an Olympic athlete, like you're going to have days where you're not focused. You're going to have things where, where, where shit goes wrong. So Um, I'm just kind of curious from a bad day perspective, if you had a bad day working out or, or a bad day practicing your programs, how do you recover from that? And what's kind of going through your mind to make sure that you don't let that continue into the rest of your week or the other days of your training.
1: I think as an athlete and as a figure skater in general, you have way more bad days than good days. Uh, you know, you fall way more times than you land. And so the way that my coaching system really had it laid out was even if I was, falling all day or having, you know, a tough time. It was just the effort that counted. If I had a hundred percent effort, that was the muscle memory that was going to stay with me for the days that I landed. And so even when I was having my bad days, um, you know, my coaches would constantly tell me the bad days are what are, going to make you a champion, you know, when you win everything, when you're on that podium, you're not going to be thinking of the great practice that you had that one day, you're going to be thinking of all the tough times that you were going through that led you to that moment. And so for me, yeah, like having a lot of bad sessions, that didn't really matter so long as I was giving that hundred percent effort and um I knew that the muscle memory was going to carry me through.
0: That's so so powerful. And I, I some something that you anybody listening to this can immediately apply is think about are your goals are, are your goals like are you are you measuring them based on outcome or process? I think that's a really important thing to think about is like it's it's really easy to get hung up on the outcome. But if you're focusing on the process, like what you're doing is like I gotta hit these 10 jumps, or like you gotta make the, the calls or do whatever the, the marketing thing is. If you focus on, like you said, the efforts, that's really what's gonna pay off at the end of the day is the muscle memory and like actually doing stuff and the efforts, not actually having the perfect day of practice or the perfect day every single day. So I love, I love, love, love that. And so another similar topic to to recovering from bad days. I can imagine too, if you're skating a program, you have lots of of pressure on you, you know, sometimes from the entire United States of America, or, or if you're, you know, if it's not as high stakes of the competition, but how do you deal with a mistake that might happen like in a program? Like say, for example, you fall, you know, it's stuff that happens. How do you make sure that that doesn't recover and move into the rest of it? Do you have any techniques or strategies you can share to make sure that it doesn't impact the rest of your routine?
1: Yeah. I mean, the number one thing is taking things step-by-step. Step. You can't think three jumps ahead in your program. You have to focus on what's directly next. And once you know you mess up on a jump or a jump's behind you or whatever element you're doing, it's in the past already and you have to focus on the next thing. So there's really no time to dwell on what just happened. You have to think of the next element and all the things you're going to do right to nail it. Um, and thinking of you know how I just fell. If I'm going into my next jump, you know, still in the mindset of my last jump, I'm probably going to fall on the next jump. So it really has to be a step-by-step process and um, not rush your thinking and not dwell in what just happened.
0: I love that. And similar, maybe this may not be similar, but another thing I think is really important too, is like making sure that you're not comparing to others. And I think you have some content on this as well. Um, Just because like, you know, we see at least on social media is one component of it. You can look, you look at everybody else's highlight reel, or you can, you can hear rumors and think about what other people are doing all the time. So are there any ways that you kind of deal with that mental game of making sure that you're not focusing on what other people are doing, but rather just staying in your lane and doing what you're supposed to be doing?
1: Totally. I think for sports in general, everyone has their own timeline. You know, some kids are going to learn things way faster than others. Some kids are going to be really great when they're like 10, um, but not be so great once they've gone through puberty or whatever and when they're older. Um, vice versa, you know, you might be great when you're older but not so great when you're younger. So, it's really good to have horse blinders and just focus on yourself. Um, you know, something that might take you 2 years is going to be worth it in the long run rather than somebody who got theirs in six months, but then, you know, got injured three years later. So it's, it's all perspective. You never know what's going to happen. Um, But the only thing you can really do is focus on yourself and focus on whether or not what you're doing is working for you and think of whatever timeline you want for yourself Mm. and try to apply um, how you think you're going to get there. But by looking at other people, you're just wasting time and you're wasting energy. That's really not relevant to your own journey and your own success.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, it's obviously easier said than done. And I'm assuming like, you're not perfect at it. I'm not perfect at it. We still slip into those things. So like when you catch yourself doing that, is there anything that you do to like remind yourself to make sure that you're not sticking in the comparing zone? Cause it's such, it's so dangerous to doing that To And I love the horse blinders focus. So any, anything you specifically do when you catch yourself comparing to other people.
1: Definitely. I think as I've gotten older, one of the biggest things that I really always try to remind myself is, um, you know, my own individual life and my personal life that I've created for myself that is, you know, private to the rest of the world. I don't really, you know, talk about it much on social media or like, you know, even other skaters, um, they know me as a skater, but they don't necessarily know uh, all the other things that I do in my life. That's something that I'm really proud of, and I'm really happy with. And that's, um, you know, I don't know what's going on in their life. All I know is what they post, right? Or all I know is what I see at a competition. But I don't know everything else that's going on. So it's it's too hard to compare. You know, like you want their success, they want my success. Um, life's so much bigger than just one moment, right? Or just one sphere that you're working in. Uh, so for me, I kind of really reel it in, think about all the things that I'm doing and like how happy all of that makes me. And, um, that's when I know, you know, like I'm doing great for myself and, um, my lane is the lane I want to be in.
0: Yeah. And you never know, maybe the people that you're sitting there being wishing about them, they're probably, they might be thinking the same stuff about you too, (laughs) in different aspects. So it's important. Definitely. (laughs) Yeah. Um, so another component of the mental game that I wanted to talk about too, is like what any, any routines or things that you're talking to yourself, like the night before a big competition, like you're about to step out on the ice, uh, you know, in, on a global stage, what's going on in your head the night before, as you're trying to fall asleep or right. As you step out on the rink, how do you deal with that pressure in those situations?
1: (laughs) So it's definitely very, very high pressure. Uh, and I didn't really realize it as much when I was younger because it was kind of this normal feeling that I had grown grown up training. To train the uh, butterflies. But <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And and so when I took some time off because I had gotten injured um, and I came back to skating, that's when I really it really hit me how crazy difficult, how immense the pressure and the anxiety and stress can be. Um, and so for me, the recipe that I really found to work was – always telling myself and reinforcing in my mind that it wasn't that big of a deal that whatever competition I was at was just practice for a bigger competition. So I would be, you know, all the way at the world championships, biggest competition of the year. And I would tell myself, oh, well, it's just practice for the Olympics. Like it's, this doesn't really matter. Um, so for me taking that weight off my shoulders, like even if I knew like it, it was fake, that helps me keep the butterflies at bay. And then walking into an arena getting nervous about, you know, how big the competition was, I would just put my mindset of, it's just another day at training. You know, this is my home rink in San Jose. I imagine all of the little girls that I normally train with, uh, there, I imagine like all the coaches where they usually stand at my home rink. I'm like, Oh yeah, Kevin's in the corner over there. Like it's chill. Um, And so for me, tricking my mind into thinking that it was just another day at practice was really how I was able to keep cool and actually skate like I was in practice. And I was able to skate well every time. Mm. Uh, But that took some trial and error. I think when I was really 16, um, I didn't do that to like two huge competitions I went to in China and Japan. So I was so far away from home so excited to be, you know, in Asia. And then I choked like twice and I realized I need to figure out a way to keep my butterflies from rising. And, um, that was the strategy that worked for me.
0: Mm. As soon as you were saying, just imagine a bigger competition. You were thinking about the Olympics. So when you were at the Olympics, were you just like, um, training for the intergalactic <laughs> like, <laughs> like milky way yeah. skating competition? <laughs>
1: Man, I was just like, oh, this is practice for the next one. Like 2018, I'll be older. It'll yeah, be mine.
0: <laughs> I love that. Okay, cool. Well, thank you for sharing that. I think that's so important, and and it's it's cool that you have tools and strategies to help you manage it. And I just think that's an important reminder for any of us. Like whatever your equivalent of stepping on the rink is, like what you know, these aren't things that Olympic athletes just come up with. Like they practice these scenarios and how to deal with it. So whatever the stepping on the the, the, the rink is for you, think about how you can create a routine to help you manage that stress because I think it's really important to not leave that up to chance. Um, I know, I know we're getting up on time here, so I want to be respectful, but there's another uh, topic that I think would be really important to to cover. And that's the the fact that you recently decided to make a transition from the world of professional skating and you have your own podcast now. And I can only imagine like after years and years of cramming this identity and being, being, being a skater, that it was really tough to part with that. So can you maybe talk us, Talk to us a little bit about how you decided to make that decision and, you know, how you've been dealing with the the, cra- the crazy change in identity of not being a competitive skater anymore.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, long story short, I was injured when I was 17. Um, I was just getting into my competitive international career and I had a foot injury that left me off the ice for quite a bit of time. I tried to come back too soon, got re-injured. And then I took almost 10 months off, which was great for me to fully rest my foot. And then it took me, you know, a year after that to really get everything back at a slow pace, because the biggest thing for athletes when they get injured is they, they come back too fast and they want the quick success. And so I knew that I had to take things really slow as to uh, get where I needed to be in a very healthy way. Um, And so right when I had finally started hitting that peak of I'm training really well, I'm getting everything back, my stamina is looking good, I'm in great shape, um, the pandemic hit. And that was definitely a curveball for me as well as, you know, everybody in the world. Uh, But having, again, time off the ice, it just, it was a decision that I came to with my family um, early summer when I had to decide, you know, do I want to put all of my efforts back in to skating, potentially move for skating because all of the rinks in California were closed. Um, And, you know, for me, the biggest struggle was really the mental part of coming back, you know, physically it would be really tough. And I knew I was going to be kind of miserable trying to push my body to those limits. Um, And I'm a lot older than, I'm a lot older now I'm 22. And so uh, (laughs) it's a lot harder than even when I was 17 and I tried to come back but the mental block of forcing myself to pull in on these triple jumps um, and potentially fall super hard. And now my body doesn't bounce back as well if I get injured. So I have to train really smart. I have to make sure that every single jump I do, I'm doing it like correctly because if I do it wrong and I fall, I could rip something, tear something uh, longer recovery time. That was really scary. Um, and really, um, just I decided too difficult for me to try to go through again because at that point it would have been almost my fourth comeback where I was taking time off again and then having to start from zero. And uh it was it was really difficult at first to let go of skating because it has just always been a part of my life. And I at the same time, since I was you know, in high school, like even middle school, I was always dreaming about when I would make it big in skating and then like finally get to stop and start enjoying my life the way all the kids I knew growing up going to school were. Um, and I had already been doing, you know, a lot of the fun things that I didn't get to do when I was taking time off for being injured. And so for me, like already getting a taste of how fun life can be and how many opportunities there are outside of just sports. Um, the thought of going back into training and like, you know, pushing myself in this dreadful way, both mentally and physically, and then putting on hold again for another two years or year and a half um, every opportunity that came my way, it had to go to like what's smart for training. And I decided I didn't want to do that anymore and that I could just start taking the other opportunities that make me super happy that um, you know, don't require any of my skating like struggles um and i decided to start pursuing that uh my parents were super supportive they they only wanted me to continue with skating if i was um down for the process essentially like my dad said that to me immediately he was like if you're only thinking about the potential of you making the olympics in a year and a half that's not a good enough reason because you have to enjoy the process it's a journey and it's going to be a year and a half of like grit and if you're not fully 100% in for that you don't even know if you're going to make the Olympics in three years. You don't know if you'll get re-injured, you know, it's not worth it in that perspective. And so that really made me sit back and think, you know, do I want that or do I want to start something new? And Mm -hmm. um, it was scary because skating is almost like a safety net because it's, it's always been what I've done. And I've never had to put my full energy into anything else because it's always, Oh, I can do that later when I'm done with skating. Um, but I can say it's been almost a year since I made that decision and I really feel like I made the right one and I'm just very happy with how, um, everything has been going in my life and how I don't need to specifically look at skating success as life success. And now I can look at, you know, different things that I'm doing as, um, life success and, uh, you know, it's really cool starting a skating podcast and getting back involved with the skating world in a non-competitive way, uh, and realizing that, Yes, I had a lot of great things with skating and that can help me in careers as I move forward. Uh, but that's not all I am. And that's not um, all that people value about me.
0: Yeah. Well, it's so cool that, you know, your parents are just, you just seem like the most supportive people on the planet. So that's really cool that, that they gave you that freedom. And also I know it's, it was really important for you to continue to get an education. Cause I know lots of Olympians, they, they, you know, don't go and get a college degree when they're hundred percent focused on their Olympic, um, you know, endeavors and stuff like that. So you always had that to fall back on. And I think that's really cool that they've supported you. And I love the comments again about the process So that, that came up again. And it's like, are you just going to kill yourself just to get to back to the Olympics? Or are you actually going to enjoy the training? And it's, I can only imagine, I'm so excited to follow your journey, you know, as someone that that, <laughs> that has just obviously trained so hard and has all the mental fortitude that you have, the dedication. Like I'm, I'm really excited to see what you're going to end up doing in the next few years. So that'll be really cool. Um, any, anything else that anything else that you want to, um, share that you think I should have asked or should have, I mean, I guess I don't normally ask this, but like anything that you think I missed that you think would be really a thing to bring up as we, as we wrap up here.
1: Um, I mean, I think I didn't really talk too much about this, but I I remember you asked me a little bit about uh, sports and then like education, balancing the two worlds. Um, I think that's also a pretty unique thing that my parents really pushed me for. Uh, Most athletes I know, especially in the elite levels are all homeschooled. And Mm. um, my parents had a moment where they considered it, I think when I was going into middle school, but ultimately they chose not to. And Uh, I personally am super happy they didn't uh, just because I think for me, it would have made me go crazy about skating. And I've talked to a lot of athletes about this, actually, when you have all you think about is sports and that's all you do, um, it carries so much more weight. And you do feel like if something happens, if you don't make this team, if you don't get this medal, if you get injured, it's like your whole world comes falling down and you're just absolutely crushed. But for me, I knew that there were two separate things going on. Like skating was great, but if that fell through, which it did when I got injured, I immediately jumped to the other world where nobody knew or like really understood or cared that side of things. They knew I was good at skating, but they couldn't fully understand, you know, the severity of what had just happened. I wasn't going to be a Debbie Downer, you know, and start mm-hmm. like telling people all my problems. So I just adapted, and I completely got into. School, I got into college, I got into all the different activities and passions um, that I wanted to do and saw other people thriving in all of their activities and passions. And I think it was just a huge um, learning curve for me to know that there's so much more to life than skating. Um, and that, you know, like just being engulfed in one thing isn't necessarily the healthiest mindset. Um, and I think for kids growing up socially as well, it's it's really important to value education in school and value like learning from professionals. Um, you know, of course there's some kids that thrive better off of homeschooling and there's nothing wrong with that. but yeah. uh, I think I think it's a mistake for parents to not, um, think about the social aspect and whether or not their kids are going to get enough exposure to different things. If their kids are going to get exposure from kids, their own age, their peers, how they learn, you know, how to deal with a classroom of 20 kids and different teachers that you might not like, you might like, um, it's, it's a really big part of growing up. And I think, um, my parents did an excellent job with keeping
0: me in school. Love that. Love that. So uh, I will ask one final question and then we can find out more about where people can find out more about you and then we'll wrap things up here. But this is kind of a question I've been asking all guests lately, but I'm just kind of curious, Paulina, as somebody that has experienced the, you know, the biggest lights in the, in the, in the Olympic arenas and has spent all this time practicing and now you're transitioning to a new way of life. What is, what have you come to understand what happiness means to you?
1: That's that's an excellent question. I think um I actually studied the science of happiness in college too. So I I know a bit about the subject, but for me, I think happiness is really enjoying the little things. Uh, you know, as an athlete, when people hear my story, they really think, "Wow, that's so cool. Going to the Olympics, you know, you got to do all these crazy things through skating, you got to travel the world." Those are really really big moments. They made me extremely happy for that short period of time but when you look at my whole life and you look at you know the process of going through all of that I had a really happy childhood, you know, with all the different things that my parents were able to supply me with. But some of my favorite memories going along those same sides where if I had a day off from skating and I got to pick up my little brother from school, or for me in elementary school, I had qualified for my first nationals, which to most people would be the happiest moment. For me, the happiest moment was getting to take a week off from skating and go to science camp with my fifth grade class. You know, those small normal things made me so much happier and stick with me now longer than any of that skating success did. Um, And I think moving forward, like just in life in general, building a relationship with, you know, my family, with my friends, you know, doing things that bring me happiness on a day-to-day basis, whether that be going, you know, on a hike or going on a road trip for the weekend, those are the things that truly make me happy um, and, I think finding whatever recipe that is for you and finding little things to be happy about, like along your whole journey is, uh, the biggest part that leads to long-term happiness.
0: Yeah. Love that answer. I won't, I won't add anything on top of it. Cause that was like a mic drop. So we'll just leave that there. So, <laughs> so, so, so Polina, where can people find out more about your journey and all the incredible stuff that you're up to?
1: Um, people can find out more about myself on my Instagram. My username is at Paulina Edmonds. And then I also have my own podcast. It is believe in figure skating. It's on Spotify and Apple podcasts and all of that kind of stuff. It's all things skating. And I interview a bunch of athletes do breakdowns of competitions, all that kind of stuff. And then I also have a website called Paul Powered. So that's com, And that's kind of just a website that I put fun food recipes. I'm a total foodie and then, uh, you know, some fitness stuff. I'm doing skating mm-hmm. seminars now and teaching Zoom workouts and stuff online. So um, staying active.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Love that. And just in case anybody is on this podcast app, wherever you're listening to this and you want to hop over to Paulina's podcast, it's B-L-E-A-V, correct? Not, not B-E-L-I-E-V. So B-L-E-A-V in figure skating. If you just want to jump on over and, and check that out. But, um, in closing, I just want to say everybody listening to this, if you are brand new, I just want to say, welcome. It's so awesome to have you hanging out with me and Paulina today. I hope you become a regular listener and subscriber. And I hang out with people like Paulina all the time. And as you can tell she, you know, Paulina brought the heat today we'd like to go deep. And if you're returning, I want to say thank you. You're what makes this possible. I truly appreciate you. And whether you're new or returning, I have a favor to ask you. And that is go out. And if, if you've been impacted by Paulina's story and you have a friend that that really could learn about how to train more effectively or how to overcome mental barriers that may be holding them up, go please share this. My, my life has absolutely been changed by friends that have shared podcasts with me. So uh, I know Paulina is doing some incredible stuff. So as she what she shared today, please share this with a friend. It can really help change their life. And if you're looking for some similar content, I had Brian Grosso on the show. He's episode number nine, and he's a mindset coach who's coached thousands of Olympic athletes. So if you're kind of interested in this topic, you want to go, go deeper. That's something else to check out. But besides that, Paulina, thank you so, so much. This has been an absolute blast. I really appreciate your time and thank you for sharing all your wisdom today. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Hey, it's Brandon here again. And I have a quick favor to ask before you head off. And that is if you are listening to my voice right now, And you may not know this, but I typically spend over five hours of my own time each week just researching a guest on the show. And then there's the time that's spent recording the show, the intro, reaching out to new guests, and of course all the editing, publishing, promoting that my amazing wife and high school sweetheart Leah helps me to manage. So all that to say, there's a lot that goes on just to get to the point where you listen to this episode. So if you appreciate the content and have five to ten seconds to spare, it would help a ton if you could leave a quick rating on the show. Extra credit if you choose to leave a review, but Just tapping whatever stars you feel the show deserves helps a ton and it takes so little time. So whether you choose to do that or not, I so appreciate you and I'll talk with you soon.